Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hi, guys. Liz Wheeler here. I'm really excited to um, present this episode to you today because one of the really fun things that I've been trying to do lately with these longer form interviews is not just sit down and interview people that you and I already know, people that you and I already understand the impact of their work, people you and I are following. What, I, what I've been trying to do is introduce you to people who I think you should follow, I think you should listen to, and whose stories I think you should know. We oftentimes talk about pretty heavy topics related to the transgender ideology on the show. We talk about how the left is uh, targeting children with this transgender ideology, how it's unscientific, certainly immoral. Um, but I want to introduce you to you today a man by the name of James Esses. He is the founder of Thoughtful Therapists, and I think you'll find his story as fascinating as I have found. I'm I'm in the process of following because his story is not complete here. James, thanks for sitting down with me. I appreciate it. Pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Of course. Okay, so you're in the UK right now. I'm in the United States. Your story starts, or at least the public aspect of your story starts a couple of years ago when you decided to make a career change from being an attorney um, to pursuing a degree in psychotherapy. Tell me a little bit the background of why you decided to make that career switch. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I decided to practice in law because I wanted to help people. And I found that because of the legal and justice system in the UK, that I, I wasn't really able to do that. Um, I started volunteering as a children's charity in the UK. It's called Childline. It's basically a helpline for children to come through and talk to adults about issues that they're having. And I started volunteering there once a week in the evening. Uh, and I found that work so fulfilling, actually working with these children to help them with whatever difficulties they were facing in life, that I thought to myself, well, why not spend the rest of my life doing this? And it was actually that experience that led me to starting this master's degree in psychotherapy. And the plan was to basically train as a therapist and, and spend the rest of my life offering therapy to people for mental health issues. And I got to tell you, interviews that are going to be a little bit longer form, it's hard for me not to throw out the hook and all of the good juicy information. I think it's really important. Let me just tell people right now. It's really important that you understand the background of James's story before we get to the juicy part or you'll miss the full context. So you enter school for psychotherapy. Um, you enter a Metonia Institute. This is accredited by Middlesex University, again, in the UK. You're three years into a five-year program. And what happens? Yeah, so over the over the course of the degree, I was becoming more concerned with gender ideology and the impact that it was having on the mental health profession and on children. I started researching what was going on. I started looking at the statistics. I was becoming more and more concerned. And I decided that I had to speak out and I had to do something about this. Um, so I, I grouped together with the group that you mentioned earlier called Thoughtful Therapists. We started a petition to the UK government basically asking them to safeguard explorative therapy for children with gender dysphoria rather than just affirming them down a pathway towards medication and surgery. So I started this petition. 
Um, and ultimately, that petition and the publicity that I was doing at the time led to me receiving an email out of the blue towards the end of the third year of my course from the, the deputy chief executive officer. And it was a two paragraph email and it told me that I was expelled from the course for bringing the profession into disrepute. So you created this petition asking for the UK to safeguard therapy. What, what Before we even get into the expulsion from this, this course, basically you just being kicked out of school without any recourse, what were you exactly asking for when you use that word safeguard? What do you mean? Lucky Land Casino, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So at this time, the UK government were looking at banning conversion therapy. Um, now, that's a bit of a misnomer because most forms of conversion therapy in the strict sense of the term are already criminalised. And, and we've seen a lot of abhorrent practices over the years, but we've seen a, a more watered-down definition of conversion therapy around gender identity. This idea that it, it's not okay to, to challenge someone if they say that they're trapped in the wrong body, that you should simply affirm somebody to transition. So the UK government were looking at passing this legislation and myself and colleagues had real concerns that this would basically shut down free speech amongst the therapeutic community and basically force us to affirm clients into transitioning. So the petition to the government said, if you're going to ban this, could you please make sure you safeguard proper explorative therapy for young children? And that's interesting because here in the United States, there are many, there are many individual states that do exactly what you just described. They ban therapists from talking to children with gender dysphoria about the biological reality of what they're facing, unpacking the comorbidities. They ban therapists from doing that under this guise of um, conversion therapy when it's really not conversion therapy. Um, and it's made it's made it really difficult for parents. I actually have a family friend who's who's suffering through this with her daughter and is having a really hard time finding a therapist to help her because her child was abused as a little child, now needs some pretty intensive psychotherapy. But therapists are being very open with the mother when she interviews them, telling her that we're not allowed to do that. We're not willing to do that. We only will put her on this gender-affirming this gender affirming model, which leads to hormones and then irreversible surgery. So I feel you there. That's happening everywhere. So when you got this email from your school saying, sorry, you're three years into this five-year program, but now we're kicking you out, did they give you a reason why? So, so what happened was I, I received an, an, an initial email on, on a Wednesday in, in May of last year. And this email said that there had been some complaints uh, made about me to the, the university. Now, there weren't any details of those complaints. There was no evidence of this. And they said to me, would I come in for an informal chat with them two days later? Now, I responded expressing some shock. I wasn't sure what I had done wrong and, and some anxiety about this. And the response came, James, there's nothing for you to be worried about whatsoever. This is just an informal chat to talk about the complaints. So I, I, you know, I said, fair enough, let's, let's have this meeting on the Friday. Because as far as I was concerned, I hadn't done anything wrong. And plus, you know, this is my educational institution. And surely they had a duty of care to me and wanted to support me. So I agreed to the meeting that was to be held two days later. 
And it was 24 hours later on the Thursday that randomly this email dropped into my inbox and the subject line read termination of contract. And that was the email that told me that I was being expelled with immediate effect. It was a two paragraph email. I wasn't supplied with any evidence. I wasn't supplied with any policy. And when I went to respond to the email to express my utter shock, I discovered that they had already blocked my university email address within a few minutes of having sent it to me. It's, do you have any idea what happened between them requesting a meeting, this informal chat, assuring you that everything was fine, they just wanted to discuss these alleged complaints against you? Do you have any idea what happened between that and this email that just said, you're gone? Well, I still haven't had full legal disclosure in my case. We're still at a, a relatively early stage. I have seen some emails uh, that floating about internally within the organization. But in, in real terms, n- nothing at all had shifted within those 24 hours. I, 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 you know, at the end of the day, I'd been speaking out about these topics at that point for many months. The petition had been started many months ago. And so to go from an informal chat to immediate expulsion within 24 hours in breach of all of their policies. It's it's crazy. I, I still to this day can't quite believe that's happened. No, it's shocking that you weren't given any recourse or any appeal or even any opportunity to defend yourself. I mean, that's that's the fundamental of not only American legal tradition, but English legal tradition is to be able to know what you're being accused of so that you can you can have an opportunity to defend those against those accusations. Particularly in an, in an educational institution, you know, where free speech, open debate should be prized uh, above everything else. But you're right. I, I never had, in, in fact, to this day, I've never had a single conversation with anyone in the institution about it. I had no hearing. I had no appeal. As I said, I wasn't even provided with the policies under which they had done this. Um, When I finally got hold of some of the policies, it talks about circumstances in which they might be able to expel a student with immediate effect. And those circumstances include if a student has sexually assaulted a fellow student or if a student has defrauded the institution. And by expelling me with immediate effects, my institution is basically equating my free speech and my raising concerns about children's welfare with sexual assault and fraud. It seems like it's almost it's almost slanderous. So tell me what what they teach you in this in this university course. I mean, when when they're talking about children, gender dysphoric children, do they allow any dissent in the classroom? Are the students, your fellow students, do do they have any questions, or is this just very ideologically uniform, no questions allowed? It's it's very clear that ideology has taken over the mental health profession in the United Kingdom. You know, I, I still speak to um, certain colleagues on, on, on my course and on other therapy courses, and I'm told it's quite common, you know, at the start of a semester for them to all be expected to state their pronouns, which is, you know, already a sign of ideology. Um, and there are modules on these courses on gender identity, uh, and it's basically pushing the idea that that sex is is fluid, uh, that sex is is not binary or immutable. And it's a real move away from the core principles around, around mental health, because I always come back to this point. Gender dysphoria is a mental health condition. 
in the United Kingdom, if you want to transition legally or medically, you have to be diagnosed with a mental health condition. So we should be treating it using mental health principles. But in fact, those appear to have completely gone out the door. And I often use the analogy of, of anorexia or body dysmorphia. You know, if a client comes to a therapist and says to that therapist, I hate my body, I think I'm obese, uh, well, what do I do? The therapist is not going to turn around to that person and say, well, yes, if you believe that you're obese, then in fact you are obese. And more still, that therapist is not going to turn around to that client and say, well, if you believe that you're obese, then you should have liposuction. And in fact, that's exactly what we're doing here with gender dysphoria. You know, a child can come to a therapist and say, I was born in the wrong body. And the therapist will nod along and say, yes, you were. Why don't you medically transition? It defeats the purpose of therapy, right? Well, completely. I mean, it's, it's, uh, and I often put this out to others to, to correct me on. And today's I've not been corrected, but to my mind, gender dysphoria is the only mental health condition where the proposed treatment is to affirm distressing thoughts that somebody has inside their head or to try and physically modify their body. This just isn't what we do. Uh, and it goes against the Hippocratic Oath, you know, not doing any harm. And it goes against what I believe is one of the core tenets of therapy and counselling, which is to not go into the therapy room with a predetermined outcome. And what we've basically got are therapists who are just robots, like nodding dogs, who don't engage in exploration, which is what therapy is all about. Talk to me about the, the institution, your school, for a second, because I find it very interesting. We see that, I mean, this is true, not just in the United Kingdom, in the United States. We see these universities, which are supposed to be institutions of higher learning, and they're completely compromised by the leftist ideology to this point. I mean, this might be the most extreme point that we've seen uh, out of any political topic, um, what's happening at these, at these universities. How did this ideology specifically, the, the gender ideology, it's based in queer theory, of course, how did this infiltrate not just the university system, but the medical field when it's completely counter to just basic biology? But personally, I think it's been through a number of incremental shifts over the years. And it's been done very subtly because this is an ideology. But what's happened over the last few years is a complete change in the language that we use around this topic. You know, we see pronouns, we see employers encouraging or sometimes even pressuring their employees to put their pronouns in their signature. Um, I come across parents who tell me that teachers of, of young students are, are going around and, and, and asking children what their pronouns are. I've come across primary school teaching materials which suggest to young children that the doctor took a guess at their sex when they were born and might have made a mistake. Uh, all of this creates this idea in society that sex is completely fluid that it has no basis in science, in, in biology, that everyone has this kind of innate gender identity. So I think that's one aspect of it. I think another aspect of it is that some people are absolutely terrified of putting a foot out of line, you know, because they fear that the same thing that happened to me will happen to them, that they'll basically be cancelled. Because people are coming for others' livelihoods, jobs, reputations. 
you know, the terms transphobe and bigot are, are thrown about with such ease these days. So I think a lot of people just want to keep their head down. For, for others, I think, although they're terribly misconceived, I believe that they genuinely believe they're doing the kind or the decent thing. You know, then they have the approach of, well, let's let, let people be who they are. You know, let children be who they are. But those individuals, I would submit, are willfully ignorant to the, the damage and the harm that's been caused to young children and adults because of this ideology. And I would ask them to sit down and speak with a, with a detransitioner whose body has been left, you know, irreparably scarred because of this and to then see how they feel about it. You mentioned that so many people are afraid to put their foot outside of the gender ideology box because they're afraid of losing their their livelihood and their reputation. I think that's insightful. But what what about the your fellow students? I mean, do you hear from them? Maybe people that you were in class with, maybe people who are just in your field. Do you hear people who share your concerns about gender affirming, the gender affirming model and are just afraid to speak out? Is this becoming a growing concern among therapists or are you still in are you in the minority here it's it's very difficult to tell the problem is all of the kind of regulatory bodies are ideologically captured and and this actually links into my case because it, it came to light later on that the the therapy regulatory body that i was a member of had been communicating with my university institution um, and I'm, I'm also bringing them to court because it, it seems that they were also trying to get rid of me. Um, so there's a bit of collusion going on there in the background. Uh, you know, I, I have colleagues um, who do share my concerns, but in terms of what's been taught to trainee therapists, in terms of what the, the senior officials in the, in the regulatory bodies are saying, it's, it's ideology through and through. And it's very telling that when I was expelled, the same evening, my, my institution, my educational institution, they went on Twitter and they, they publicised the fact that they had expelled me. And alongside that, they published what they called a statement of solidarity with the LGBT community. And that demonstrates that to them, this is fighting an ideology. It's almost religious fervour that they're approaching this with. It is. It's pledging fealty to politics, essentially. So go back to what you said before, that there's a governing body that you believe colluded with your university. You're taking them to court as well. I should have mentioned this at the beginning, but you're in the midst of litigation um, because of what they've done to you and because it violated your contract. So you're speaking of the U the UK Council for Psychotherapy, correct? Correct. And what's the specific allegation there? Well, again, you know, it's important to emphasise that I haven't had full legal disclosure, and I'm I'm looking forward to seeing what emerges from that. But I I, I put through this this data subject access request, you know, for my personal data, uh, and it it brought some things to light because I had written to my regulatory body a few months before the expulsion because I was concerned about the narrative and the, the, the shutting down of free speech and open debate amongst therapists. So I wrote to them, I wrote actually to the, the chief executive officer of, of that body. I attached an article that I'd written about the impact of puberty blockers and hormones and surgery on young people. And I asked whether they would 
circulate that to the membership. And I also requested a meeting with someone from the senior leadership team um, for an opportunity to raise my concerns about what was happening within the profession. And I was told outright no and no. And when I did the data subject access request, I discovered that that body had um, sent communication correspondence to the university to the effect of basically saying, we're very concerned about this student. You know, what are you going to do about it? So the school was worried perhaps about their accreditation or their reputation when they're being threatened by this governing body. James, let me ask you a personal question here because I think it possibly plays into this story. Are you a religious person? I'm not. And whilst I do um, collaborate with individuals who follow this because of religious beliefs, uh, that, that isn't where I'm coming from on it. Although I support freedom of beliefs um, in this respect, you know, for me, it comes down to child safeguarding above all else. And when you say child safeguarding, what should be done in an ethical, biological, therapeutic sense when a child comes to a therapist with gender dysphoria? What's the proper course of treatment? The exact same treatment that would be offered for any other mental health condition, which is slow exploration, of course, empathy and respect. You know, we have to remember that this is a, it's a debilitating mental health condition. And for a child in particular who feels for whatever reason that they're trapped in the wrong body, that must be so incredibly distressing and anxiety inducing. So you have to treat these people with respect and with empathy. But it's about trying to discover what's led them to feeling that way. You mentioned at the start of the interview about comorbidities. I mean, you know, when we look at the research, we see a significant overlap with gender dysphoria and things like historic trauma, uh, bullying, autism, internalized homophobia. You know, all of these things deserve proper exploration. And then a full, you know, coherent exploration of options as well, as opposed to just a one-way path towards medical treatment. And when I was when I used to counsel children on, on, on this children's helpline, I would often engage in a bit of a thought experiment because I had very young kids, sometimes as young as eight or nine, telling me that they were trapped in the wrong body. Um, and I would, I would ask them, I'd say, OK, let's imagine, let's, let's picture a few years from now and you've had the puberty blockers and then you're an adult and you've had the surgery, you know, um, are you happy? And more often than not, that child would come back to me and say, no, I still wouldn't be happy because there's still X, Y, Z that I hate about myself. And that began to get this child to realize that actually this gender dysphoria thing was actually just symptomatic of wider unhappiness and disease that this person has in their life and in their body. And they're being exploited in that unhappiness by ideologues who've infiltrated schools and and the medical community. Let me ask you a question on your on your crowd justice page, which is a, a UK based crowdfunding um, website. It states that 
uh, and I, I, wanna, I want you to clarify this because it's a little unclear. It states that you believe that sometimes hormones or surgery might be medically appropriate. Is, is that an accurate categorization of what you think? Uh, never for children. I, you know, I, I can categorically say that I do not believe that children should be able to avail of any of this treatment um, because of the, the implications and the risks. When it comes to adults, I've fallen short of kind of calling for an outright ban on this stuff because I can conceive of some situations in which for an adult, maybe it's the only, maybe it is the best option for them. But I, for, for me, that's going to be in the minority of cases. Um, and, and generally, because of my kind of philosophical beliefs, I tend to think that adults should be entitled to make their own decisions. So I've, I've not really waded into that debate. But as far as children are concerned, uh, I do not believe that they should ever be given this treatment. Well, that's what I was going to ask you. If, you're, if your caveat for adults, is that based on your belief that they should be allowed to do what they want? Or uh, regardless of whether that's harmful to their body, irreversible, and doesn't actually address their gender dysphoria? Or is that based on a medical or therapeutic belief that you that you think that sometimes this can actually help people? Those are very two different positions, I think. It's, it's probably predominantly the former, but, you know, for me, the most important thing actually is taking things on a case-by-case basis and treating people as individuals, you know, and I, I have met, I've met um, transgender individuals who transitioned as adults and tell me that actually, you know, they feel better for it as a result, you know. So I, I, I think for some, maybe the level of distress that they're feeling is such that they don't conceive of any other option but that. Um, but, you know, for, for a child, um, it, it's, it's never the appropriate pathway. I, I wrote an article recently looking at legislation in the UK and all the various things that children aren't allowed to do in this country, you know, um, even just opening a, a bank account. A, a child in the UK can't open a bank account until they're 14. I think they can't legally own their own pet until they're 16. They can't even buy things like aerosol or, or fireworks. They can't buy a scratch card, and yet they can consent to irreversible medical treatment that they might regret for the, less, the rest of their lives. I mean, it's bonkers. It's insane. In the United States, children aren't even allowed to get their ears pierced without an adult or guardian or parent signing off on it or get a tattoo, yet they can have healthy organs, their breasts and their uterus removed um, in some cases without parental consent. It's, it is. It's completely bananas here. The reason that I was pressing you on your position on adults transitioning is because I think it's very illustrative of the intolerance of the of the radical gender ideology that someone who, I don't even know if you would describe yourself as an ideologue, you don't describe yourself as a religious person, you wanna take things on a case-by-case basis, so you're not even as, well, ideological is the word that I would use, as ideological as I am. I am a religious person, I do think we should ban this, I don't think it ever helps adults, but even when you're not as ideological about it, they still want you banned because you, you dare to dissent from 
the their 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 religious belief that it has to be surgery every single time and you can't you can't even you can't even address that with one question or else you're gone well this is it i mean i come in for a hell of a lot of um abuse even though what i'm saying as, as you kind of just alluded to this isn't really that radical actually if we, if we break down what i'm saying i'm saying sex is binary and immutable okay well that's that's founded in biology and science. I mean, that's just reality. And two, that children should be safeguarded and not rushed into experimental treatment that they might regret for the rest of their lives. I mean, in, in what world are those controversial statements? But to these individuals, they appear to be. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I, I have people on, on Twitter telling me that through what I'm saying, I am supporting the abuse and torture of children it's it's crazy because actually what i the reason i started speaking out about this in the first place is to prevent the abuse and torture of children and you've been willing to put your livelihood and your career on the line what what will happen by the way with your career will you be able to complete your degree will you be able to to practice therapy or is that have is that done it's it's certainly done for the time being because you know, I, I thankfully I have a job to, to keep a roof over my head and the rest of my time is now spent on fighting this legal case and also speaking out about these safeguarding issues. Um, I'm kind of waiting to the end of the litigation to see what happens. I have to say that I've lost a hell of a lot of faith in the therapeutic community. Um, I, I think it's I think it's atrocious, actually. Um and that's just in the United Kingdom. I, I know the things in many ways are far worse in the States and, and elsewhere. So I, I, I don't really know what, what the future holds for me. Um, I, I mentioned the, 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 the children's helpline that I used to volunteer at. I, you know, I volunteered there for five years. And it was deeply saddening to me that just a few weeks after I was expelled from my master's degree, that children's helpline also kicked me out. Um, you know, I received a call one day and I was told not to come in for my next shift because clearly they didn't like my beliefs and clearly they didn't want to be associated with me. And, you know, to this day, it still feel, fills me with a deep sense of sadness because, you know, going there once a week and having the opportunity to engage and try and support children who are struggling in their lives, for me, was the most fulfilling aspect uh, of my life. You know, I wanted to be doing this stuff for the rest of my life. So the fact that I'm unable to do it at present um, is deeply sad thing. Well, listen, there are ways to help children and there are ways to help children. And I don't blame you for feeling devastated. It's unjust and it's harmful to kids what the university system and this charity have done to you. But perhaps you will be helping children as much or more by fighting against the institutional infiltration with this, this gender, this queer theory ideology, then face-to-face to these kids, helping them unpack their comorbidity comorbidities. It's hard to say at this point. What is the next step in your litigation, though? The last, the last update that I had heard was the employment judge had ruled that you actually could test this case um, in a full tribunal. Yeah, I mean, look, the, the road to justice is, it can be bumpy, it can also be pretty slow. Um, we're still technically in the preliminary stages of things. Yes, you're right. That judgment was given. 
so as things stand as of today, um, this will be proceeding to a full trial against both my educational institution and my former therapeutic regulatory body. It's just a case of when. Um, I'm, I'm hoping it might be in 2023, but there's a chance it won't be until 2024. There's, there's still a few other things that we need to, to, to figure out before then, but I'm, I'm confident this is going to go all the way to a trial. Um, the case is based around discrimination. That's, that's the kind of core um, crux of the case. What, what I'm alleging is that these institutions discriminated against my beliefs, which are my beliefs around sex and gender and the treatment of children. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm seeking personal justice, obviously. You know, I, I've lost tens of thousands of pounds that were given to that course for which I have nothing to show for it. My reputation in that field, you know, was was discredited by by what these institutions did. So I'm, you know, I'm seeking personal justice, but it's become so much more than just me. Um, it's become now about making sure that this never happens to another student again, because I have students on therapy courses reach out to me on a regular basis and they tell me that they're too afraid to speak out on the course because they feel their fear that they might get cancelled. And I have students who were considering studying therapy and they tell me that until my case is resolved, they're not actually going to start the course because they're too scared about what might happen to them. So the stakes are, are really high. And I want to send a message to the therapy bodies and to all educational institutions in the United Kingdom that if you try and cancel students simply for them raising their beliefs and wanting open debate on important topics that affect all of society, that they will pay the price for that. I hope you're successful. We'll be watching. I'm sorry that it's going to take so long to come to trial maybe the entirety of 2023, maybe not until 2024. I do want to let people know how they can help you. You have a crowd justice page. Um, it's it's a crowd crowdsourcing page, right? A crowdfunding page. Um, and you can find it at crowdjustice.com slash case slash expelled dash university dash free dash speech. And no, I don't expect you guys to remember that just from me saying it. I will post a link below this interview. I will post a link um, on my locals page and everywhere that we that we publish this particular interview so that you can help James fight back against this because he's correct. It's not just about personal vindication. He was wronged and he deserves vindication, but this is about fighting against the institutional capture of the medical industry that seeks to harm our children, to abuse our children in pursuit of a radical leftist political ideology. It is a battle of good versus evil, and we need people like James who unfortunately have sustained personal wrong, but that's allowed you to be in a position to hopefully expose some of this corruption and fight back. James, I'm really proud of you. I support you. Let us know what we can do to help along the way if you have updates. And thank you so much for being here today. Thank you very much, Liz. Appreciate it. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. 
Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.